What is up, Lit Lucid Podcast fans? We are happy to have you back for season seven of the show. This season is brought to you by Seed and Smith, an amazing cannabis company located right here in Denver, Colorado. Visit our website, litlucid.com, to learn more about our sponsors and to view our previous episodes. And if you're enjoying the show, be sure to share with a friend and give us a review on your favorite platform. Without further ado, here are your hosts, Lucy and Jared. Welcome, everybody, to the Lit and Lucid podcast. We are here recording with a return guest, Emma Chasen. She was episode 25 from September of last year, so we're super excited to have Emma back on the show. What's up, Emma? Hey, y'all. How's it going? Going good. Glad to have you back almost uh, a little bit over a year later. That's exciting. I know. It is crazy how time flies in this industry, especially. Like, one year feels like it. You could fit 10 years into it with the amount of things that happen. Right. Oh my gosh, right? Yeah, we're going to have to start comparing it to like dog years, you know, like seven of <laughs> yes. one pretty much. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So yeah, I'm super excited to be back. Thank you for, for having me on again. Yeah, so for all of our listeners, you can definitely go back and listen to episode 25 to learn a little bit more about Emma and her background and how she got started in the cannabis industry. But today, uh, she now co-owns and operates Eminent Consulting. They're offering educational training programs for the industry professionals and laymen. She has a background from Brown University in medicinal plant research, so that really helps her digest complex cannabis you know, educational information and then regurgitate it back to the consumers in a very easy-to-understand manner. And that's really her specialty is cannabis education. So over the last couple months, we have some concerns rising and buzzing around around the vape crisis, and she's been one of you know the proponent people speaking out about the vape crisis and, you know, making sense of what's really going on. So we thought this would be a great time to have Emma back on the show. Yeah, absolutely. yeah I'm, I'm super excited to be here. Yeah. And I, and I think we're to the point now where um, I, I'm, I'm guessing a majority of us are all aware of what's happening. Uh, we've seen the news releases and I'm sure we're all left confused. <laughs> so a lot of this episode is going to be to kind of shed us straight, figure out what's what. And then uh, what do we do about it? So happy to talk about the vape crisis later on, but uh, let's kind of, uh, let's dive into what's changed in the year with Emma. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about what's changed in the, in the year. The last year we were talking to you, uh, September 20th, I believe, of last year. And um, you're doing a lot of education then. And we kind of uh, coined you the, uh, I guess, the uh, the queen of science of cannabis, really. You were kind of really out there in the science <laughs> of cannabis and and really kind of one of the rock stars that were helping to lead the way as far as uh, what are terpenes, how to choose your strain, um, educating bud tenders on how to talk to consumers and and figure out, you know, what would work best with the consumers and and really kind of being that leading edge as far as uh, consumer facing education. So, you know, how has that evolved over the last year, Emma? Yeah, well, thank you, first of all. Um, it's definitely science and, and education are at the core still of what I'm passionate about and, and everything that I am doing and, and trying to accomplish within the industry and, and the greater cannabis community. I have been mostly focusing on Eminent Consulting, which is my company that was just a baby, so brand new last year. Uh, when I talk to you guys now, we are over a year in business and we have been doing a lot of 
of business development in states across the country, looking at Missouri. So we ran an application for a dispensary license in Missouri this past year. We're working with an Oklahoma group that's pursuing a vertically integrated model. And so my business partner was actually just down in Oklahoma for the last month, helping the guys down there really start up their cultivation facility. And they have a retail as well as manufacturing on the horizon. So it's been really wild to work in the Oklahoma market. It is the wild, wild west of cannabis. I mean, (laughs) there are hardly any regulations. It's very like laissez-faire. And and so there's a lot of opportunity for creativity and for innovation and to bring a more educational and craft ethos to that space. And, And our clients down there are wonderful and so on board with all of that. And so we've been helping them pursue that model down there. Um, I'm also working on some more education-focused projects in Massachusetts and Kentucky, where I'm helping to build training training manuals and different kind of educational programs so that we can just get the best kind of information out to the consumer, layperson, industry professional as possible, because it's still quite a uh, wild world out there of misinformation. And then also focusing a lot on uh, our internal projects. So really revamping our online educational offerings to include some more um, products where you can actually purchase different kind of pamphlets, educational pamphlets. And then as uh, of course, webinars and videos of me speaking and on a variety of cannabis science topics, um, really to, to get at those fundamentals and, and give that kind of community as- access to all of this information. That's great. Yeah, I was really interested in speaking with you because I saw that you guys were working in Missouri um, and Oklahoma. And do you feel like now these markets that are starting to come on board, are they focusing more on education first or they're just really trying to, you know, get those applications through and get started up and kind of just see where it goes? I think that that was definitely the case in Oklahoma of just like getting in the applications. There were hardly any requirements for licensure. And so they have an amazing amount of licenses that were approved, uh, as well as over 4% of the Oklahoma population has now been approved for a patient license, which I mean, that statistic is extremely high. We really don't see those numbers, um, unless we're in California, more of the national average is around like between like two to 3% mm-hmm. of the total population in a state. And so to pass 4% in a state like Oklahoma mm-hmm. is really wild. Um, they are though, trying to implement some smarter regulations in regards to testing. And so requiring terpenes and heavy metal testing, and that's really important. Mm -hmm. Not many states do that. Um, In Missouri, it was actually the opposite. So Missouri had a lot of comprehensive regulations. They actually limiting licenses. And so there is a cap on the amount of licenses the state will have. Um, Also, they had a kind of medium barrier to entry, whereas Oklahoma, I mean, anybody with $2,500 in their bank account could obtain uh, an Oklahoma uh, cannabis license. Whereas in Missouri, it wasn't too high, like states like Pennsylvania, where it prohibits access, where you have to have millions of dollars Mm -hmm. in escrow just to be considered. But it was still high enough 
where it did kind of weed out some people um, who were just enthusiasts, I guess. And so I'm excited for the way that Missouri is actually going to roll out. I think that the way that they have regulated it thus far and, and the regulations that they've built could really uh, promote a successful and, and strong industry there. And so the decisions for Missouri licenses come out in early 2020. And so we will we will see who gets awarded licensure. I got an interesting question for you since you've been able to see both sides, but I guess between a competitive marketplace for licensing and uh, a free market. And do you think there's any kind of differences amongst the uh, like quality of products, I guess, as far as, you know, people that have to go spend millions of dollars to obtain a license versus somebody who can only spend $2,500 in a license? Are you seeing yes. better products from, I guess, those who have to put more money into their license? So I'm actually seeing the opposite, okay. where my favorite products come out of markets such as Oregon. I mean, I'm very Oregon biased um, that had a fairly low barrier to entry because it allowed very passionate people who have been doing this for a very long time, who care for the plant, who care for the people to formulate and produce these kinds of products where when you have that kind of high, high barrier to entry, it really only allows for the multi-state big corporations to play. Exactly, and yeah. they, there is a, a level of disconnect there, at least comparatively to the people who have been in the black market and who have been growing their entire lives, you know, for generations back, mm -hmm. um, now, I don't think that a low barrier to entry necessarily sets up a viable market. I mean, it is free market capitalism. And so the littler guys get uh, just get eaten alive, which I don't think has been that successful. And we've seen that in Oregon. However, it has allowed for the, the people who both have developed the quality products as well as then were able to gain capital, maybe even in later stages of their business development to really bring beautiful, beautiful products to the market that I, I haven't seen comparable quality in states that have such a high barrier to entry. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great response. Thank you. Um, cause it, I mean, it's going to be an interesting market as it all begins to unveil over the, over the nation. Um, because I think in the West coast, you've seen in a lot of the West coast states, it is a free market. Uh, and then a lot of those East coast states is, uh, it's a much more tightly controlled market and they do have a competitive licensing process. So there's very few, uh, operators that actually get a chance to operate in those states. I know Florida had a extremely competitive uh, process for growers and dispensaries. And we're already hearing from uh, consumers out there that they're just not satisfied with the amount of products on the market um, and the uh, the options to choose from. So it's going to be interesting to see how it all shakes out. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And even the kind of uh, co-opting or or the, the licensing deals that are happening between these larger companies and, and smaller kind of mom and pops. And we'll see with the scale up if those people retain their quality as mm -hmm. well. Um, it's, it's definitely rapidly evolving and will change quite a bit, especially as we head toward federal legalization where everything's just going to become so topsy-turvy at, at that point in the road. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a matter of, you know, which side you choose or what type of regulatory framework do you go with and what does interstate commerce look like? And there's about, you know, a billion other questions that still have to be answered once federal legalization happens. Yep, exactly. 
So what are you doing down in states like Kentucky? I know states like Kentucky, they only have, um, I'm guessing, like a hemp marketplace right now. They don't have recreational or medical marijuana. Uh, so what I mean, Exactly. So what, so what do you do down there? So there I do, I'm working with a company who is trying to provide education to their community in regards to hemp and cannabis, because you're exactly right that hemp is largely grown in Kentucky. So there's Mm -hmm. actually a huge marketplace for hemp down there. And a lot of people are experiencing this disconnect where they're not understanding that hemp is a subspecies of cannabis. And so there's still such a debilitating cannabis stigma, even when most of the state is growing hemp. And so I really applaud this company down there who is trying to give the community educational information in regards to the science behind hemp and cannabis to hopefully allow people to not only set up smarter businesses when the inevitable legislation does come on board, um, but also so that they can sell their hemp products better and they can grow their hemp products better. And so there I'm I'm helping her with just some uh, curriculum development and creation of an educational training manual with really good, reputable scientific information that is distilled down into a language that people can understand, especially people who still have such a negative stigma surrounding the cannabis plant. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's so much confusion around CBD as well. I mean, that's a whole nother bucket of worms to open. Um, So I can imagine, you know, kind of that that level that you're going to have to educate these consumers in that area. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, I mean, we still see that nationwide, especially in markets that do not have any kind of public access program to cannabis, whether it be medical or recreational adult use. I mean, people do not quite understand yet how to source quality CBD products, what they should be looking for and what they should expect in terms of experience and side effects. Um, Even I was in New York just a week ago. And I mean, every single coffee is selling CBD infused coffee and people still do not understand what it does, how it acts on the body. um, And, and largely are marketing it as more of this cure all, Mm -hmm. which is not Correct. I mean, you're setting up a total population for just uh, disappointment when you're posturing it as this cure-all medicine, um, where it's it's not. Yes, it has high, high therapeutic potential, especially when combined with other cannabinoids and terpenes, uh, of course, dependent on how you're going to extract that. You'll see a different retention there throughout products. But again, these are things that people should be asking about and looking for, and, and they just don't know about it. There's this lack of consumer education still. And I think that that has absolutely informed what is happening right now with this vaping crisis. Yes, absolutely. I would agree. Yeah. So many problems. Yeah. I mean, I think it all kind of is wrapped up into one between, um, between the stigma of it holding back education and then the, uh, the misinformation that's out there. I mean, it's like a double-edged sword we're battling right now. Exactly. And, and while like working in the industry, as we joked about, it feels like it's been forever. I've been doing this just over four years and it feels like a lifetime already where, I mean, I have to burst that 
bubble for myself and realize like, oh no, there are states where like they are starting at like ground zero here and they, they still have so much to learn and, and so much more to go. But that's also hopeful to me. It's really exciting to work in those kinds of markets (laughs) that are just starting out and being able to hopefully infuse this more craft ethos and, and scientific and, and educational model into these bigger companies to, to be like, no, okay, I've, I've done this. I've seen how it works. This is the way to do it right. This is the way to build it smarter, more intelligently. And that that definitely has been giving me hope. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you have experience on your belt that you can you know, offer that information to these new markets. And hopefully they can learn from all these other states' past mistakes. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, let's dive into the big elephant in the room. Of the vaping crisis. There's tons of misinformation going on out there. I know the media has gone a little bit wild about all their misinformation. Uh, Emma, why don't you just give us the 411 on like, what do you think is going on? Sure. So the CDC or Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, they released a pretty comprehensive report on October 4th that highlighted some some facts and some trends that they've seen in regards to the recent outbreak of these lung injuries that are largely related to vaping. And what they saw was that this type of respiratory failure and illness mostly afflicted males in their early 20s and that many of these uh, people have been vaping THC containing products, but also nicotine containing products. And that many of these people have also been smoking concurrently and they did self-identify as heavy users of these products, um, meaning multiple times a day. However, it is also important to say that because a lot of this data was self-reported, meaning that the patients or the people surveyed reported it themselves, there is an inherent bias there where it's not objectively being observed and recorded. And so that's largely with this vaping crisis, there's just a lot of bias in the data that's coming out. And there are a lot of scientists and researchers trying to find what particular thing is causing these respiratory failures and illnesses. And they can't find one thing that is common in all of these products that have been surveyed from the people who are experiencing these illnesses. There are many, many things that it could be. So what's happening with these lung failures and dramatic respiratory illnesses is that it seems that out of most people, their lungs cannot actually exchange gases. And that happens when you heat and inhale any kind of lipid or fat, and then you inhale it and it recoagulates in your alveoli, which are in your lungs, which are meant to help exchange oxygen and carbon dioxide. And this is how we breathe. Now the lungs, they don't have a mechanism for wasting out any kind of exogenous agents that shouldn't be there. So for example, our digestive system is really, really good at wasting out any of those kinds of like toxins or, or poisons or just anything that like we really don't need to process in our body and our liver in particular. Amazing at that. And that's why we can eat a lot of different things. We also evolved that way as we were kind of 
going along nomadically and picking at different poisonous plants, we needed a mechanism in our digestive system to be able to protect us from these more detrimental agents. Whereas our lungs don't have that. Our lungs never needed to evolve to have that. And so now with these new vaping devices, I mean, there is a lot of crap in these cartridges. And so it could be something like vitamin E acetate or even olive oil, um, vitamin E acetate being vitamin E oil, where again, fine to digest, fine to put on your skin, but it is an oil. And so when you heat it and it vaporizes, it recoagulates then in your lungs and prevents this exchange of gases. And companies are using olive oil and vitamin E oil to just kind of like pad their oil. And so this is a clear example of companies who are choosing profits over people where they are trying to make the most amount of money um, with the least bit of investment. And so in some cases, I mean, the these kinds of thickening agents, as they're called, are in concentrations of like 70% compared to the 30% of cannabis extract in the cartridge. Wow. So these thickening agents could be one problem. There's also propylene glycol, which is actually a thinning agent. And again, propylene glycol, totally safe to ingest and put on your skin. But when you heat it, it turns into formaldehyde. Don't want to be inhaling formaldehyde into our lungs. There's also the possibility that artificial flavorings or terpenes could be causing some of these illnesses as terpenes when you heat them to uh, a certain temperature they actually turn into benzene which is a very toxic compound and i should say that we've seen that with artificial terpenes in particular this phenomenon but it definitely creates uh, a cause for pause when we look at any of these botanically derived terpenes as well Mm -hmm. Um, there's also to note some synthetic cannabinoids that have been turning up. So synthetic cannabinoids, they are and have never been uh, healthy for you to consume. They are much riskier to consume than the phytocannabinoids coming from the cannabis plants. So they could also be playing a role in this. And then finally, I mean, the hardware of the vaporizers. We get a lot of this hardware from China and there could be heavy metals leaking into the oil. These devices, they get hot. I mean, it is a vaporization device, but it still gets very hot. And so whatever the heating element or wick is made of could be burning off and leaking into the oil and causing problems. And whatever metals are actually in the hardware of the cartridge could also be leaking into the oil and and causing problems. So it is a kind of like smorgasbord of issues that we could choose from. And it is frustrating from the standpoint of um, both regulators, industry professionals, and consumers, because it's hard to know what to look out for. And it's hard to know right now what is safe and okay and what is not. Um, What we've seen a lot of companies kind of come out and do is say, I, I am 100% pure CO2 cannabis extract. I do not put anything else in my cartridge. Um, and that has helped a lot of people feel safer because it seems that at least these instances do not occur with 100% pure cannabis extract. However, there's definitely a, a cause for concern and a, and a paranoia kind of everywhere in regards to vaping now. Mm-hmm. No, I'd, I'd absolutely agree. And I think there's a, there's like a newfound stigma on vaping almost just because of these issues. Um, mm-hmm. And how we ended up here, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it's really a smear campaign by the tobacco industry or not. But like you mentioned, you know, a cause for pause. I do think that there's 
Um, there's issues here with vaping that I think have to be addressed. And at some point they would, they would have needed to be addressed regardless. So I think we ended up here abruptly, but at the same time, I do think that, uh, it's a good time to be here and a good time to address these things and then start putting together uh, best practices for the future. Exactly. Exactly. And really like look at the, the ethics behind the brand that you're going to support. Are they choosing to like, are they choosing profits over your health and safety and, and what does that look like and how can you investigate that and how can you really trust these companies? I think that you're absolutely correct in saying that like vaping was, it was going to like hit this hurdle at some, at some point, cause it just has been growing so steadily. And in many market trends, it was surpassing flower even yeah, because it's easy. It's discreet. It was totally being marketed as like way healthier than smoking. And if you want to protect mm-hmm. your lungs and, and all this kind of stuff. And uh, we definitely have hit a roadblock in that, but I think it's important to evaluate, especially if we are going to be throwing out like healthier than smoking and people yeah. are now experiencing such intense respiratory illnesses and and failure fairly quickly, well, then we need to take a step back and and kind of reevaluate how we're talking about this and and how we're producing these products as well. Absolutely. Yeah. There's even one that you didn't even touch on that I know has been around for a while um, is the Eagle 20 pesticides or mycobutanol turns into cyanide. Uh, I've seen some news story come out and totally smear campaign with, started a smear campaign against cannabis with it. Um, but at the same time, I mean, the, the message behind that is still true that, you know, illegal pesticides, they do do that, especially with the same thing with the benzenes and, and the terpenes. And these are things that consumers are going to have to understand that have not been studied yet. And it's unfortunate things like this that happens to make us all take a step back and say, okay, maybe we have to reevaluate what we're doing and take a harder look at, you know, these additives we put in there because they could be hurting us. And, exactly. um, you know, so many of these companies do end up hurt at the end of the day. Uh, some people fall back. It, maybe it's a necessary, uh, maybe it's a necessary step to clean everything up and start us on the right path. So, um, I mean, it's an unfortunate thing, I think, with the vape crisis. But at the same time, I do think we're going to end up in a better spot than we were before. Yes, and that's that's definitely the hope that this brings some awareness. I'm so glad that you brought up the the pesticide example as well. That mycobutanol that's found in a lot of extracts and concentrates that does turn into cyanide when heated, and that pesticide. I mean, it's fine when we ingest it and digest it again. And that's where a lot of these studies and this research that's been done on pesticides have been looking at it from the standpoint of ingestion and digestion. And we have our liver, we have mechanisms to waste out these compounds where our lungs do not and heating them actually changes their molecular structure. And it can be a lot more damaging than we initially thought. And so I think it is a huge learning opportunity for the industry and for any extract and concentrate brands out there. I don't think that prohibition is the right way forward because a lot of these cartridges that are causing uh, this type of respiratory failure, they're being purchased on the black market. Mm -hmm. And so prohibition will only lead to more diversion into that black market. Um, However, I do think that this is a really great opportunity to talk about conscious consumerism and that, okay, if you're somebody who is shopping organically at the grocery store, well, then you need to be even more concerned about how you shop for cannabis because you are applying heat to it uh, in most cases. And even if you're not, then you should be asking about how that 
manufacturer has applied heat to it or what they're adding into it or what that looks like. And, and I think that it's a, it's an important and like growing pain for the industry. Absolutely. It's definitely just going to bring more education and awareness to consumers in the end, for sure. Yeah. And I mean, definitely. When you think um, of it, we would not have any of this without a regulated market. I mean, if we had a prohibition, we may still be sitting here smoking concentrates that are way over the legal limits of, of a residual uh, solvents. We may still be smoking vape pens that are filled with mycobutanol. And, who you know, we clearly know what that causes. And um, I think all these things happen for a reason. And, and really, like you, like you mentioned, prohibition is not the answer. Uh, prohibition, we'd all probably be seeing a lot more people dying right now if we didn't have regulated marijuana. And really, I think that's the next step is to take these regulations and, and make them nationwide. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And just like you said, like, got to bring it out into the light to yeah. really figure out the what the problem areas are and, and work to fix it. Yeah. Well, and consumers just need to also take it matters into their own hands and, you know, ask these questions and do research on their products before they go to the dispensary, noting, you know, it's a dispensary. They're not going to, you know, their homie's house down the street and picking up just a vape cart. That's where a lot of the problems are coming from as well is this illegal market. So hopefully this just brings more light to the fact that, yes, you should be buying from a regulated tested facility and, you know, you should be able to trust the these products that you're consuming um, and hopefully that'll help moving forward. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, ask questions. I mean, even some of these big companies that you think are big and bad and do no wrong. I mean, look at, what was it, Cushy Punch? Yeah. <laughs> it's got nailed mm-hmm. selling tons of, tons of like illegal carts or carts that have failed testing on the black market. Um, so, I mean, you can't really, you can't just trust everybody because they have a big brand name and, and they have great packaging and all that. Ask these questions. Don't be afraid. Well, I mean, this is the same thing we saw, you know, in the food industry 10, 15 years ago before the non-GMO campaigns and things like that. I mean, people weren't asking what's in their food. They didn't care about non-GMOs. They didn't care if their food was organic. And now today, I mean, that's common knowledge. And most people are looking for those types of signs on their food products. So I think that it's just going to take a couple more years. But this is probably the beginning of moving forward with that same type of movement in the cannabis industry. Yes, which is so exciting and important especially because this is medicine this yes. is medicine people yes. and so you have to treat it as such you can't even just treat it as food even though food is medicine like it, there needs to be an extra level of care that happens in this kind of investigation and um if we really want to support those businesses that are doing it right that are ethically producing even at the cost of their kind of bottom line then you need to seek them out you got to do a little bit of digging and and do not be afraid to ask those kinds of questions you do and i assure you if you do your research and learn more about these companies that are actually doing it right you are going to be committed to them and you're going to feel so much better about the products that you're consuming once you find those good fits for you hell yeah Agreed. Hey, Amos, so if uh, if listeners want to get a little bit more information about the vape crisis, do you have any good resources or any directions to point them to? 
I do, yes. So Project CBD actually published an amazing and very comprehensive list of resources related to the vaping lung injury. And they break it down by like, okay, general areas of or causes for concern, the flavoring and diluting agents, the lipoid pneumonia, which is the actual condition that happens where you can't exchange gases because of uh, fats clogging up your lungs, um, as well as many of the other areas. And, and they point to primary resources and research studies that have been done on those kinds of agents. And so definitely go check that out. It's super comprehensive. They did an amazing job. Awesome. Thank you for that. And we always end our show with a little bit of advice for fellow entrepreneurs out there. And, and seeing as your company is a little bit over a year old now, I think you're going to have a lot of, uh, a lot of knowledge behind, behind, your, behind your belt there as far as uh, running a company. So what's, uh, what's a quick little tidbit you want to share with other fellow entrepreneurs out there in their entrepreneurial journeys? Mm. If you believe in it, then keep that hustle alive. It is a constant grind, but if you love what you're doing and you're rooted in your mission and you're treating people well and you're managing your relationships well, then good things will come to you. So work hard and take care of your community and do everything that you can to elevate your ecosystem and they will thereby support you. That's I great. That. I love it. Yeah, because we're sitting here a year later with Emma. I think I counted what Mizzou, Oklahoma, Massachusetts, Kentucky, and all of that started with you there in Oregon. And even before that, there at Brown University. So Emma has had a journey and you can definitely go back and follow that right here on the Lit and Lucid podcast. And, you know, the same goes back out to anybody listening. Just what Emma said. Keep with it. Keep the hustle alive. Put the years in. It'll all come together. Here we are here at we almost are. episode 75. So... We're doing the same. We're doing the same, yeah. <laughs> Hell yes. Hell yes. Keep moving forward. Well, everybody, uh, how can uh, people find you online on like Instagram and things like that? Yeah. So find me at E Chasen, just my last name. You can also find me at uh, Eminent's website, eminentconsultingfirm.com. Yes, definitely reach out to her. She's a very knowledgeable resource in the industry. Absolutely, yeah. Don't awesome. be afraid to ask him of those tough questions you have, too. She might Oh, yeah, the give them to me. The science. Lay it on me. She, she knows a lot, guys. So, Emma, we always <laughs> appreciate having your time and your knowledge and always your advocacy for, for doing the right things in cannabis. And we really can't wait to uh, look forward to what you do next and follow back in another year. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for having me on, guys. It is always such a pleasure chatting with you. And yeah, I look forward to, to round three next year. <laughs> you are more than welcome. Uh, with that, I'm lit. And I'm lucid. And that's it. Laters. Introducing the dart from Seed and Smith. No cutting agents, no artificial terpenes, no residual solvents. Only clean, pure cannabis from a company you can trust. Don't miss your chance to pick up a dart by taking part in Dart Days every Friday during the month of November. With the purchase of a $15 pod, you will receive the dart battery absolutely free. Follow Seed and Smith on Instagram and Facebook for new Dart Day locations every Friday with a special doorbuster on Green Friday, November 29th. Don't delay. Get the dart today.